0: Hello and welcome to 10x9, 9, where nine people have up to 10 minutes each to tell a true story from their own life. I'm Paul Doran and this is the 10x9 podcast. Potter O'Toole and I started 10x9 in September 2011 in the black box in Belfast, and we love it. This week I took 10x9 to the Ulster Folk Museum, a wonderful place just a few miles outside Belfast in Coutreau. The theme was appropriately enough tradition. And we were in the old picture house at the site. And it's really worth a visit if you get a chance. There are two brilliant stories from that evening on this podcast for you. They said, no, where's my cheese?
1: Well, we accompanied him out to the garage where sure enough the pallet was empty. Someone
2: stole his cheese. The bell rang and we were rushed outside. Whereupon, the teacher disappeared, leaving us to our fate.
0: So, let's get started, and in a few minutes you'll hear Ben Ritchie with a tale of a traditional rite of passage. But first up, we had a visitor to 10 by 9 Michael Cheney is an Episcopalian priest on sabbatical, exploring different types of storytelling. And he had come all the way from, well, I'll let him tell you. And he also provided the title of the podcast. Here's Michael.
1: Hey y'all, I'm not from around here. Uh, I live in Savannah, Georgia, that's in the south of the United States. But I grew up in Mississippi. My parents are from Mississippi too. In fact, my father was the first person in his family to attend a university. Now, in Mississippi, you have two choices of a university. You've got the University of Mississippi, and that's a bastion of the old south, a venerable institution. The typical student is well-dressed and good-looking, and they like to party. The freshman cater their affairs with bartenders and so forth. My dad didn't go to school there. He went to the other school, Mississippi State University, as did I and my sister and my uncle and my cousins. That is our family tradition, if you will. But we've got something that Ole Miss, the University of Mississippi is called, ain't got. We've got a better football team. We've also got some warm collegiality and we've got cows. And where there's cows, there's cheese. Mississippi State Cheese, now we call it State Cheese. It sounds rather institutional as if the government gave you the cheese, but it's, it's quite delicious. My father as a young graduate was very proud of the dairy tradition at our agricultural institution. So before I was born, he was ordering State Cheese to give his holiday gifts. At Christmas time, he would distribute this to his friends. And i got to tell you, the cheese is quite good. We've got cheddar and Edom and valigrette and the ever so complex jalapeno loaf, which is beautifully marbled with ribbons of jalapeno pepper in it. We're not entirely sure what kind of cheese it exactly is, but it is delicious. You grate that stuff, put it over some nachos, bake it in the oven, and it's the perfect snack during an American football game. And the best football game, of course, is that football game between the Mississippi State Bulldogs and the Ole Miss team. And they have an obnoxious cheer. It's so obnoxious, I won't share it with you tonight. (laughs) Don't be too disappointed. (laughs) Now, my father's friends who are Ole Miss fans are his favorite recipients of a gift of cheese around the holiday time. He orders plenty. And he traditionally distributes the cheese in person on Christmas Eve. He's got a friend, Gooseo, we call him the Goose. He's got this convertible and my father and the goose get in the convertible. And it doesn't matter if it's the me- middle of December and it's freezing cold. The top always came down and they fill the trunk. You call it a boot with cheese and his friends from Ole Miss would get in the car and they would drive around delivering my father's gift of, of cheese. All lifelong friends, despite their rival football teams. So their Christmas Eve Excursion concludes in the late afternoon after all the cheeses have been delivered. The final destination of their Christmas Eve is the best Christmas party in town that's put on by our Jewish community. Yes, we don't know why the Jewish community throws a great Christmas party, but it is a great Christmas party indeed. Everybody's there. The Jewish community, the Episcopalians, the Roman Catholics, the Irish Catholics, the Greek Orthodox, the full gospel African Methodists are there. The Lebanese community, the Chinese community, and even the Southern Baptists, they have a tendency to sneak off to the broom closet to drink a little beer so (laughs) nobody will see them. But on arriving home from the Jewish Christmas party, my father usually takes a nap, eats a few nachos made with that jalapeno cheese loaf, and then we get ready to go to midnight mass. And this is how it's done. It's a family tradition. It's the way it's always been done. But over the years, my father's Christmas cheese orders have expanded. They've grown. And he began to keep the cheese in the garage where it was nice and cool. It won't all fit in the refrigerator. Some years ago, Christmas Day, I believe, fell on a Saturday. So the Jewish Christmas party was on a Thursday night. And my dad and the goose decided they would go to the Christmas party and then deliver the cheese the next day. They went to the party. They came back home. And my father was nonplussed. He came charging into the kitchen saying, where's my cheese? And my mother thought he wanted a snack. She said, there's some in the refrigerator. Would you like me to make you some nachos? And he said, no, where's my cheese? Well, we accompanied him out to the garage. where sure enough, the pallet was empty. Someone stole his cheese. And I mean all of it. Well, the next day we all assisted in gathering containers of flavored popcorn to deliver as alternative gifts. He was inconsolable, but it only got worse when we returned home and in the place where the cheese once sat, there was a note. And it was a note that was comprised of letters that had been carefully cut out of the newspaper and glued to the piece of paper. (laughs) It said, if you ever want to see your cheese again, cheer for Ole Miss. (laughs) This could have been the worst holiday on record. Cheering for Ole Miss was completely out of the question, and none of us were under the impression that if we did cheer for Ole Miss, we'd ever see that cheese again. So we held fast to our commitment to Mississippi State's football team. On Christmas Day, we ate the rest of that jalapeno loaf in the refrigerator finely grated, served ever nachos and baked in the oven. It was the best state cheese I've ever eaten in my life. It was rare that year and appreciated. You know, every December, I look forward to a package from my father. He still sends me cheese and I know it's coming. I get the mixed box, got the cheddar, the Edam, and the jalapeno loaf in it. My children and my spouse who's from New York have all come to appreciate that particular flavor of the holiday season. We're a cheese kind of household. And nothing makes Christmas or a football game quite as special. But as for my father, he still drives around town on Christmas Eve delivering cheese as a Christmas gift. But now he delivers more than ever. You see, after the great cheese heist, he ordered even more because he was determined to deliver cheese to as many Ole Miss fans as possible. He was convinced that whoever it was that stole that cheese had certainly developed a taste for it.
2: Thank you. I want to take you back to early September 1971 when as an extremely apprehensive 12 year old, I stopped momentarily at the bottom of the drive of my new secondary school. I say momentarily because there was a stream of red blazers forcing its way up the hill, and I didn't want to draw attention to myself, as if I wasn't already identified as a first year with my impeccable uniform and the shiny new brown leather school bike. Up to this point, I had been walking with my friends, but they were going to another school at the far side of the town and I watched them walk away enviously jealous of their safety in numbers. Large gates opened out onto the road funneling, sucking us in. Facing the inevitable I jumped into that stream and allowed myself to be carried along, a minnow in a sea of sharks. Keeping my head down, seeing only shiny black shoes and well-pressed trousers i tried to block out the chatter around me was it chatter or the gnashing of teeth once or twice i looked up only to be met with merciless reptilian eyes and knowing looks which eagerly anticipated the feeding frenzy ahead suddenly passing the 11 plus wasn't all it was cracked up to be a couple of hours later after a lecture from an extremely imposing principal about standards and responsibility, we were assigned to a class and then laid out to a mobile classroom. As we walked along, it became clear that we were no longer the big boys we had been in primary school, but we were now at the bottom of the packing order, or was it the food chain? Ignoring the vast array of textbooks and copybooks handed out during those first three periods, my classmates and I watched and became more apprehensive as the minute hand on the clock over the blackboard crept towards break time. As another teacher droned on about the school and its standards, we looked at each other helplessly. We were about to go over the top with no weapons. The bell rang and we were rushed outside to get some fresh air whereupon the teacher disappeared, leaving us to our fate. Like servants of the dark lord, they appeared, as if from nowhere. They lined up against a wire fence, which partly separated us from the main block of the school. Some looked like the gunfighters we watched in westerns, lounging up against the saloon bar, confident in the knowledge that they were the fastest gun in town. Others looked like those gulls, that wait to pick off baby turtles as they scramble from underneath the sand and try to rush to the sea. At some unknown signal, they swooped down on us. No army snatch squad could match the merciless efficiency of those older boys who hunted in pairs. Whooping with delight, they selected their first victims. This charge caused it to scatter every boy for himself no pretense of united we stand or safety in numbers. I decided that it was safer to get to and stay in the middle of the melee, hoping that the slow and the weak would be picked off first and I could be overlooked. I might just survive until the end of break. In reality, we ran around like headless chickens, ducking and diving, but these were experienced hunters and they easily picked us off one by one. By now the hunters' rips were accompanied by the yells and screams of the hunted. I hadn't had a sheltered upbringing, but I heard more no swearing in that 15 minutes than I had in my own le- whole life, and even a few new words. Fuck off, you bastard! I'll tell my ma! I'll get my da! I'll get my big brother for you! All to no effect. Some put up no resistance when captured and allowed themselves to be led away Resigned to their fate. Others struggled and kicked, receiving a cuff to the head or a dead arm for their vain efforts. Suddenly, amid all the mayhem, time seemed to stop, and an eerie quiet came over me. I looked around, just as their greedy eyes locked on me. For a split second, I froze, then ran. But they only got a few paces before I felt their talons grip into my bladder. I tried to barge on but it was futile for their strength was too much for me. I found myself held fast between two ogres. They easily dragged me towards the toilet block no matter how much I struggled. They laughed cruelly at their success. Part of this journey was being trailed down a set of steps towards the toilet block and the now inevitable ducking. That's spelt with a D for Delta not F for Foxtrot. (laughs) The traditional practice involved pushing first-years heads under a tap and soaking them. There were also rumours that some boys got their heads pushed down into a toilet bowl and the flush pulled. I was determined that if we veered towards the toilet cubicles blood would be spilt. Better a tale of heroic defiance and forever being remembered as the one who got his head flushed down the toilet. Thankfully, I was pulled towards a basin. I suddenly realised that I was in danger of losing a couple of teeth against the porcelain basin if I continued to struggle. So at the end, I just gave in and let the ogres push my head under the tap. There was a sudden gush of cold water all over my head and down my neck. Almost immediately I was released. The ogres had completed the kill and they moved off to find someone else to soak. There I was, standing in the toilet block, dripping with water, while around me the toilet block was awash with dripping first-years and boys being led to their own ducking. How times have changed. The only good thing was that once ducked, you won't normally duck again. So I could make my way out into the playground with complete immunity, all the while being passed by others on their way to the toilet block. Then the bell went to signal the end of break. Within seconds the ogres turned back into older boys who happily walked off to their own classes. We were left to make our own way back to our mobile classroom, or the hen huts as they became known. Teachers appeared and left without making any reference to our advanced appearance. Perhaps they thought it was sweat. Looking back, I sometimes wonder if this practice has some spiritual element. Just as baptism inducts a child into a church community, perhaps we were being inducted into the school community. Then I think, no, they were just exploiting those 15 minutes of immunity offered by the school on the first day of term. And as for us, those hapless first years, the anticipation of the deed was worse than the deed itself. And that was the first and best lesson I learned at my new school.
0: Thank you so much, Ben. I remember the exact same thing at my school. You describe it brilliantly. And Michael, thank you for joining us. I hope we'll meet again. And if you have a story for 10x9, then get in touch through the submissions page on our website, which is 10 by 9com We are always, always looking for storytellers. And that is it for this podcast. Follow us on social media, Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Also contact us by email, which is story at 10x9.com or via our website, which is, of course, 10x9.com. Keep an eye out for upcoming events and themes, and please, if you can, tell as many people as you can about the podcast. It is the best way to get noticed. Thanks to the lovely people at the Folk Museum, to our wonderful audience, and all our storytellers, but especially Ben Ritchie and Michael Cheney. I'm Paul Dorn, and I'll be back with another podcast soon. But for now, bye-bye.